Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots beat the Jaguars on Sunday, 50-10, to 10, a lopsided affair, sends the Pats to the playoffs. There's still a chance at the division. There's still a chance outside and remotely at the number one seed. So lots to play for this upcoming Sunday for the Pats when they take on the Miami Dolphins in their own personal house of horrors. We'll have the coverage for you at 1.30. The kickoff is 425. And joining us now, as he does every Tuesday, is Bob Sosi, the voice of the Pats. Bob, how are you? I didn't get to see you at Gillette Stadium on Sunday, but I did enjoy my time at the game. Yeah, disappointed that we couldn't connect, Brady, but I'm glad that you had a chance to see the Patriots get back on track and score 50 points, no less. <laughs> so <laughs> it was certainly filled with Patriots offensive highlights for you. I was. Uh, I have determined that no group of people has ever been more happy than any person who ever gets put on the video board at a major sporting event. I was so hoping that they would flash to you and Zoe at some point in the fourth quarter and we could have gotten a little dance move out of you two. Well, you might have gotten a dance move or some kind of gyration out of one of us, and that's often the case <laughs> early in the fourth quarter of a lopsided game. And in fact, I think I did hear the outfield when they play Your Love, otherwise yeah. known as Josie's song. And Zoe's song, of course, his personal theme from his midday talk show here in Boston. Generally, when it's played in a, in a big game, Zoe is on the video board leading the crowd in cheers. But in this case, apparently for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, they just decided to pan the stands rather than, you know, put Zoe on the board for, for a game of at this at that, at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely no drama, and uh, I guess of uh, little marquee value in comparison to some of the big matchups of the past. Well, I had a blast. It was my first time at Gillette Stadium, my first Pats game in person, so I had a ton of fun and glad I saw a Pats win in the routing of the Jaguars. We, the Vegas said the Pats should have routed them. We all knew the Pats should have won the game. Did you learn anything about the Pats in that game? Or was it just as uh, Zach Cox of Nesson told us yesterday, it was the Charleston Southern of the Alabama schedule late in the season? Well, sometimes the Charleston Southern game is important to get back on track. And uh, <laughs> I think for the Patriots, the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's a, great, it's, a, it's a great analogy by Zach because this was a team that would be much like an FCS team playing at an FBS powerhouse like yeah. Alabama in that Jacksonville had so many players on the COVID list late in the week. They had 27 on the list on Thursday. Now, they brought back a number of those players, but they were still signing guys off the street into the weekend. I thought the biggest thing for me, Brady, in watching a game like that is how did guys move? How did they yeah. look physically? And I thought there were guys like Kyle Duggar, for example, from his very first play. He looked a lot faster than he did the previous week. Sometimes the speed that you see is because of the matchup. Like when you watch pressure on the opposing quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, well, that has a lot to do maybe with the Jacksonville defensive line, a breakdown, for example, when Dante Hightower gets that early sack in the game second play. But I think in other areas of the field, you watch the way guys move around, and I think we have seen some noticeable improvement from Duggar over the last couple of weeks. And then when you look at Christian Wilkerson in Israel, I think we found out, although he had a 50% catch rate, which is kind of indicative of what we saw in training camp in the preseason in him, he's the guy that may give the Patriots a better option at the receiver position this week and the next week in the playoffs than a guy who played 61 snaps against the Buffalo Bills and Nikhil Harry. I just on his ability to get open and at least get some space and uh, you know have an opportunity to be in position to catch the ball from Mac Jones going forward. The Bengals, the Chiefs, the, the Bills, they all offer elements of scariness. 
Who do you want to see the most? Who is the most favorable matchup for you in the playoffs? Well, I think you look at the Patriots right now, the way they're constructed, they're capable of beating any of those teams. And yep. I think any of those teams would say it's a good matchup for them. You know, Buffalo is a, is a team right now the Patriots would be matched up with, and that would be really intriguing to go back to Orchard Park if the standings hold form with the Patriots currently in that fifth spot and probably minus the windy conditions. I think the Patriots would have a much better game plan defensively than they did the last game here. Josh Allen made some tremendous plays in that game, and he was outstanding. The Bills were outstanding. The Patriots couldn't stop them defensively. Uh, and Mac Jones didn't play particularly well in that game. So I think a third time around, you know, the Patriots would be better prepared. Would the Bills respond uh, as, as they did uh, coming off that first loss uh, and, and play as well as they did in that second game with the Patriots. I think with you know, the other teams that are in the conference, you know, you look at Tennessee, they ground out more than 270 yards against the Patriots in the first matchup of these uh -huh. teams, you know, 270 on the ground. And they're starting to play well. Once again, they've got Jones, uh, uh, they've got uh, the receivers back. It looks like Henry's practicing now, or at least he's about to practice as we record this interview. And uh, for the Patriots, I think that would be a difficult matchup for them, considering some of the problems they had with Tennessee's strength, the running game in the first encounter. And as well, when you look at uh, the Titans defensively and just the way they play under Mike Vrabel, because that game looking forward would ha have to take place, of course, in Nashville. And then with you know Kansas City, another team that you mentioned, I think the Chiefs are, are more vulnerable this year than, you know, at, at any point during this period of time uh, that they've been atop the AFC West with Mahomes as their quarterback. Uh, to me, you know, they're a bit inconsistent. I think the Patriots could match up pretty well with them, uh, really offensively running the ball against Kansas City. But I think, you know, defensively, it'd be really intriguing to see how, how do the Patriots go about playing them. They've played Mahomes well. I thought they had a great game plan last year in week four, uh, but it didn't pan out, of course, in a close game when Brian Hoyer was the starting quarterback for New England. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, as he is every single Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, we've spent a lot of airtime the last couple of years talking about Josh McDaniels and his head coaching candidacy. What if... Josh McDaniels just doesn't want to move up. We spend so much time forcing people into upwards mobility. What if he just does want to stay the offensive coordinator of the Patriots? Do you think that that is a possibility? Well, I think it depends on the situation that's out there because he has said on the record numerous times, including in the very recent past, that he would like to be a head coach someday. But he's also shown, of course, a recalcitrance as he did a year ago, it seems, with the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a nine- or ten-hour session with the Eagles, I believe, on a Sunday uh, when Philadelphia was canvassing head coaching candidates, they talked to Josh and they talked to Josh uh, to Gerard Mayo. Yeah, um, Josh ultimately, you know, pulled himself out. If not mistaken, he did the same with the Browns before that uh, when Kevin Stefanski was hired. Now, in that case, the writing might have been on the wall. Uh, he certainly, you know, has his background with what happened at Denver and as well uh, with him at the altar before eventually turning away from Indianapolis. I think in a lot of ways he's learned from both experiences and has put enough distance between both experiences and today to be strongly considered. I think he should be strongly considered. I think, you know, when you look at the, the long line of Belichick assistants who've gone out there to be head coaches and have struggled, and we're seeing it right now, no better example than Joe Judge uh -huh. in New York. You know, for so many of them, it, it starts with trying to be like Bill uh, and I think in Josh's case, he's admittedly more or less said that 
you know, he made mistakes in Denver that were consistent with that. Uh, Dan Pompey, uh, then of Bleacher Report, now The Athletic, a longtime NFL writer, had a great profile on Josh a few years ago. And he wrote that after Josh was fired by Denver, his dad uh, told him, write down everything you would do differently the next time. This is like the day after he was let go by the Broncos. Put everything down in a notebook. Write it down now so you don't forget it. And Josh McDaniels did that. And a lot of them were related to communication and people skills. And I think we've seen that borne out just in, in interactions with him over the last number of years that he's been uh, in his second tour with the Patriots. I certainly uh, you know, believe so. So I think that he's better prepared. I think that you know he's a guy that would be successful in the right opportunity. But I think it's going to be, in his eyes, the best opportunity or maybe the perfect opportunity before he jumps at it. And that may not exist. I think he, I think he has to consider if I take this job, this is the last crack at it. And then that's maybe what he did with Indianapolis. And then at the last minute decided, you know what? I don't like everything about this. I, it's going to be interesting to see what he does this offseason if he gets that opportunity, because I think he wants to be a head coach based on what he said. But at the same time, it seems like based on his actions and at times, uh, you know, the deliberate way he's gone about it, that he he really wants the best or at least close to a, a perfect opportunity for him. Bob, every week you stop by with us on Tuesday and you talk football. Every single week you've done it without fail for the last year and a half that this show has existed, and we are so grateful. Uh, we now have an opportunity to help you out. You're going to run the Boston Marathon, and you need a little bit of our help, and we want to help. So how can we help? Well, Brady, I'm going to try to run the Boston Marathon. I set out to do this in 2020. With it back on the calendar in April of 2022, I've decided once again to try to run the Boston Marathon, and I'm doing it as a fundraiser. I certainly can't qualify. I just hope to finish. Yeah, I'm not even looking to break four hours, five hours. You know, time me with a sundial long <laughs> after the sun goes down. I just, I just want to finish. I want to get from Hopkinton to Boylston Street. And I'm doing it for the Flutie Foundation for Autism, as I shared uh, in uh, in a number of uh, uh, instances in the past, including on a, a video on my fundraising page. I um, have a son. Uh, my 11-year-old was diagnosed on the autism spectrum at the age of two. He's doing great now. He's in sixth grade, and uh, he's a really bright kid with a great personality. We're very, very fortunate and very blessed uh, that you know we had early intervention for him. We didn't have... Uh, the need for some of the more extensive services as he got older that so many families have. And, uh, you know, when I look at uh, the Flutie Foundation for Autism, it could have anybody else's name on it. This is not about Doug Flutie, uh, because, but he has done such a tremendous job for the last two decades plus because his son, Dougie Jr., uh, was diagnosed with autism really at a, at a time when there wasn't a lot of autism awareness huh. Around it, it certainly was not uh, something that many people were familiar with. A lot of people had this image, this stereotype, in their mind of what was portrayed on television. And when uh, when you meet someone with autism, you met someone with autism. And, you know, one person does not represent all. And I think what the Flutie Foundation has done for two decades plus and continues to do is to serve all in a lot of different ways, including young people like my my son, who you know, for the most part. You know, uh, to the to the casual observer, you know, wouldn't appear any any different than anyone else. Uh, but uh, 
does have some, uh, you know, intellectual developmental disabilities in his past and, you know, and, ha and has some quirks. Uh, and then there are other people that uh, really are in need of far more extensive services. And the Fluidity Foundation uh, for Autism caters to all while continuing to raise awareness and doing a lot of great things, particularly in this time. Uh, routine is extremely important to yeah. uh, people on the spectrum. And the Fluidity Foundation during the pandemic has done a, a lot of extra work to try to help those, you know, who can't stick to their past routines, who, you know, have to stay in their homes, who can't go to the services that they used to uh, enjoy and need uh, pre-pandemic. So it's a great organization, really good people there. Uh, I'm going to try to, like I say, raise money for them and, and get to the finish line this time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Bob Sosi. I've got a link, a recent uh, 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 tweet that you can find uh, with my fundraising page. I know you've been kind enough uh, to share it as well. So I really do appre appreciate that. Well, I'll certainly put it out again after this interview is up and uh, or is over rather. And uh, I've already donated. I'm calling on the WDEV listeners to donate as well. Bob has come here every single Tuesday without fail for the last two years and talked football with us. It's certainly the least we can do for him and for a great organization in the Flutie Foundation also for a great cause. So, Bob, uh, you're still you know, a couple months away from, from, from doomsday in that case for you in terms of having to run the 26 miles. Hopefully you're uh, running it in a Patriots Super Bowl champion T-shirt from this year. That's what we are hoping for. But uh, Pat's Dolphins regular season finale, one thirty with the pregame show on Sunday, 425 with the kickoff. Bob, we will talk to you in seven days. Enjoy the uh, 80-degree weather or so on South Beach, and we'll talk to you next week. Brady, I appreciate it. I love your idea. Let's get a sneak preview of what it's going to be like on Boylston Street with a Super Bowl parade. <laughs>